Welcome to The Worst Best Sellers, where we read about the queen of Halloween so you don't have to. I'm Kate. And I'm Renata. And for this episode, we read Yours Cruelly Elvira by Cassandra Peterson. Joining us to discuss this spooktacular memoir is the encroaching darkness. Hello, darkness. <laughs> I, that, that was just me doing mouth noises. If that was- <laughs> Don't be alarmed. <laughs> it occurs to me now when I'm thinking about what I just said, that would have been a good place for like a Simon and Garfunkel joke, but alas. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, she's the, also the mistress of the dark. We don't we don't need men getting involved. True, true. There's been enough of that in, in Elvira's life. Yeah. If this wasn't clear, we don't have a guest. It's just me and Kate and, of course, Duarte. Yes. And- and the darkness, the darkness surrounding us as we <laughs> lose our minds. Cling if, to if sanity. There's, if there's one thing like doing these guestless episodes will reveal, I think it's just the amount that having a guest sort of keeps us on track because we're like, oh, there's someone else on the call. Like, let's get it together. Yes. And now we don't. <laughs> we don't have them. Yeah. It's 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 very easy when we don't have a guest for me to sign on to the call and be like, hey, my mental health's in the toilet. How about yours? You two? Awesome. Let's go record something funny for people to listen to. What? <laughs> Let's. OK, so this book has been in the news lately because of the sort of, you know, bombshell reveal in it that Cassandra Peterson, a.k.a. Elvira, by the way, it is pronounced Cassandra and not Cassandra. And I could tell when people hadn't read fully the book, because if you just call her Cassandra, you know, that's that's the Elvira shibboleth of if you've read the whole book or not. <laughs> or at least if you've read the first, like, 12 pages. The first 12 pages and then the very end. Yeah, I guess you could skip the middle. The thing that everyone's talking about is that she used this memoir to officially come out as being uh, in a long-term relationship with a woman, Teresa, a.k.a. T, and... And it's very sweet, and and we love that for her. We do. It's very, it, as as a you know queer person who loves spooky things, it feels very fitting and wonderful. And as a person, as she goes into detail in this memoir, and as we will you know recount for you momentarily, uh, as a person who spent her life surrounded by queer people and a fixture in the queer community, it also does feel it's like, ah, she was one of us the whole time. Yes. That said, that is 0.01% of the book. It really, truly just is like the very <laughs> last few pages. Like, oh, anyway, by the way, I've been in a loving relationship with this amazing woman. Uh, end of book. Goodbye. And so there's way more in this book before you get to that and so we will discuss that i mean there's way more in this book before you get to the fact that she's that like her beginning to be the book opens with her getting the call to audition for elvira and mm-hmm. then it goes into a flat like not a flashback because it's a memoir but then it goes back to the beginning and starts with her birth and elvira doesn't show up again until like 75 yeah. yes it's and this is a book, it reminds me of of Green Lights by Matthew McConaughey, which is a, another A, <laughs> unhinged guestless episode, and B, celebrity memoir that I liked way more than I expected to, where, yeah, like, yeah, she's a performer, and like, yeah, she's Elvira, but is that the main thing she wants to talk about? No. She wants to talk about being, like, 
wild adventures truly i got i really feel like elvira and matthew mcconaughey would just like vibe so hard if they met the most interesting thing about that is because i felt like it had the same energy as green lights like that's i i felt similarly where i was like and i i already was like predisposed i wasn't like a huge elvira fan or anything but like i knew enough about her and who she was that i was predisposed to like her and be excited about reading this book but like the energy felt so similar when I was going through it, despite the fact that like, I feel like one of the things we talked about when we talked about green lights is how his career and Hollywood seem to be like the last thing he wants to talk about in that book. Mm -hmm. Whereas Elvira, like every five seconds, she's name dropping some famous person who she had this like bizarre relationship with in 1972. But it doesn't feel like name droppy or showy in a way that sometimes celebrity memoirs do. Like it very much was her just being like, yeah. And then like I went to Elvis's hotel room and we had like a really deep conversation about numerology for hours. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's the vibe of it is much more like, whoa isn't this crazy yeah like which is also matthew mcconaughey's vibe it's just that his is not about other celebrities and hers is i think it's because when she's recounting those things it she doesn't feel like it doesn't feel like she's showing off it feels like it's something like something wild and exciting that happened to her that she wants to share with you as opposed to like kind of like a, a more aloof way that i think other celebrities talk about other celebrities in their memoirs and stuff like she's like no brad pitt tried to buy my house and it was the coolest thing that ever happened to me yes yeah that's a great point yeah she's coming from most of these encounters as a place of like fandom or in some cases former fandom that was ruined when people were assholes to her and i hate them and i have a long enemies list now of anyone (laughs) who wronged elvira (laughs) (laughs) oh infuriating i think also like i enjoyed i enjoyed matthew mcconaughey's memoir a lot obviously but his did have the vibes of it was a little pretentious where he'd be like i want to share my poetry and like my art and that was worse the worst part of it and hers is more like it reads in a lot of ways like the way that like my dad writes a facebook post where there's some like real dad jokes and then it I mean, it's it's much better written than my dad's Facebook post, but there's some just like real dad jokes and real kind of like clunky humor inserted, but in a way that I loved. It's very like it's very reminiscent of like the Elvira bumpers from her show. Yeah, in that way. So actually, let's get into this. I have I real writing this made me realize like I've never like watched any Elvira product. I had no idea, honestly, that she had so many like movies and TV shows and so much stuff. I had only like my real only familiarity with her. Like, I feel like I must have seen her just in the culture. And I think I've, I have a kind of memory of, I think we had like an Elvira branded, like Halloween makeup kit or something as a kid, which makes sense. Cause that would be maybe like purchased in the late eighties, like, peak elvira times for capitalism but really the only thing that i've seen elvira perform and video is is when she's a guest judge on on rupaul's drag race <laughs> and that's really all i know her from but now i want to watch more 
I have never seen either of her like full length movies, but I did occasionally as a youth watch when her show was syndicated nationwide. And it must have been, I feel like the one thing about this book is the timeline gets a little wonky because she tends to talk about like topics and then flip back. So she'll, she talked about like getting the Elvira gig and like all the stuff she did as Elvira and like all of these like weird things that happened. And, like, talked about it all as one chunk. But then, like, that stuff takes place between, like, 1981 and, like, 1995. And then she goes back and she's like, oh, and in 1987, this happened. And talks about, like, that topic for a while. So I feel like from reading this, I must have, I I can't have been watching before, like, 95, 96 at the earliest. Yeah, so those must have been reruns. Yeah, like in in some kind of syndication. Um, I don't know if maybe it was syndicated on the Sci-Fi Channel for a while. That sounds like it might make sense, but I don't know. But I did, like, I didn't watch it religiously or anything, but I've seen enough of it that, like, I know her and her whole vibe. Yeah. So, by the way, if if you are someone who hasn't seen elvira like well i guess we can say a little bit more about what she is then maybe go back to the beginning of the book see this is why it's hard to follow the book linearly because you do want to talk about elvira but then also so much else before we get into it we should say too there are some content warnings for this Mm-mm-mm-mm. for child abuse and sort of neglect in an yeah. old timey kind of way, but then also later in a more intense kind of way. Mm-hmm. Sexual assault, both some of which is kind of brushed off, but we later learn it's probably brushed off because there's some really intense sexual assault. Again, I don't think we're going to be talking about this in detail, but just be warned. Um, and there is some like... I, I described it as light old timey racism, where it's just like, I don't... Elvira is 70 years old. Cassandra slash Elvira is like 70 years old, like very well-meaning, but sometimes has used phrases that are like outdated. I don't even think we're going to say those. It's just something I noted in the book and just want to be like, you know, like, yeah, I'm not going to, I'm not going to take Elvira to task for this. Like you've been through enough Elvira, (laughs) but, but maybe next time, you know, get someone else to check for you anyway okay so that's in the book we again probably as is usual you know we're not gonna go into graphic detail but it's in there uh anyway so if you are not really familiar with elvira she is a horror hostess who started hosting a show called um movie macabre and it was like a local la tv show where it sounded a little bit to me like mystery science theater, but without the part where she like would sit and like watch the movie and talk along like mystery science theater. Yes. It's very similar to that. Um, And also even like, I mean, less with horror movies, but I feel like that was like a big thing on cable for a while where it would be like, Oh, this is a show where really we just show you a movie and then we come in around the commercials and give you like funny facts and jokes about it. Yeah, she talks about being like one of the first horror hostesses after Vampira, who we'll probably talk about later. But I don't know. I'm really not very familiar with this category of programming. Yeah, but it is it is very similar to Mystery Science Theater in that respect. It's yeah. And also in that it sounded like they were doing a lot of, like, B-movies and, you know, like, very cheesy, campy kinds of horror and sci-fi movies. Yeah, a lot of times it was stuff that, like, 
this the studio had access to so like they maybe have like all of the movies that like a different studio they acquired put out in like you know 1950 or whatever and they'd be showing those mm-hmm. and i i think some of these are now on netflix it seems like she now also has like a new thing on netflix and so these are around if you want to watch them i'm probably going to go watch them now i don't know she seems it seems funny yes um and we also in looking up for this she also has a new special on Shutter this year for her 40th anniversary as Elvira. Um, if you are a Shutter person, although I imagine if you're a Shutter person, you already know who Elvira is. <laughs> 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 Can't assume. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's yeah, that's who Elvira is now. But she was born Cassandra Peterson in Randolph, Kansas, in 1951. Also, her middle name is Gay, so her name is Cassandra Gay Peterson, which is which is great. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> and she and this is wild. She was named after one of her mother's teachers that her father previously dated, which is insane. <laughs> yeah, she she just and this is one of many things where she's just like that's wild, right? And then doesn't impact it at all because she's got a million other things to talk about. <laughs> And so when she was 18 months old, she was like left unattended in the kitchen while they were supposed to be making Easter eggs. And she spilled the boiling water for the eggs like on her head and was very badly burned and almost like nearly fatally burned and was saved by experimental new strain of penicillin, which is great. Yeah, um, but it did leave her I mean, not with great that lot- it happened. Not great that happened, but great that penicillin saved Elvira. Yeah, she has a a bit in it where she talks about like how like lucky she was that a like all the all the things that needed to line up for her to live, which was that like a penicillin hat was out already and they were like working actively on like new treatments with it that they lived really close to like one of the best burn units in the country that like all of these things that if it had happened a little differently she wouldn't have survived but she did she did and she was like badly scarred and talks about being really self-conscious about that and how like she even still to this day has scars but they're very faded and not as noticeable but she's still feel self-conscious about them and tries to hide them with her hairstyle yes it's just says just a lot a lot of things i don't know this woman but i'm proud of her <laughs> i'm proud of her i love her again long list of enemies now on her behalf who i will fight yeah. um, she initially like grew up on this farm in kansas but then the government her a her family wasn't great at farming and then b the united states government after some like wild weather things was like well we're gonna flood this valley where your town is so sorry you all need to leave now yeah like the whole region kept flooding and so they the Army Corps of Engineers was like, well, if we like dam the river and put a reservoir right here where this town is, then it's going to stop flooding everywhere else. And they were like, but people live here? And they're like, nope, get out. So they did. Yep. (laughs) And they moved to Colorado, where uh, her father's parents and a couple of his siblings were living. Uh, And she grew up like right down the street from them. And she had like... a a really rough parts of her childhood were really rough it seems because her mom i don't know if 
she calls her mom at one point a narcissist and i don't know if that is an official diagnosis or not um but she makes a couple references to like how hard it is to be a child of a narcissistic parent and her mother did seem to be like incredibly abusive like sometimes physically but more frequently just like emotionally and verbally and would like yell at her for doing bad things and for doing like regular things like if she like came into the house and closed the door too hard her mom would start screaming at her and her mom had a really good uh habit a really bad habit i guess a a good she was very good at picking on cassandra's flaws the things she hated the most about herself and yelling at them like her scars and saying, you know, well, with your scars, you're so ugly that no one will ever love you. So yeah, like, oh, my God, I can't imagine. Yeah, just baby, very old baby Cassandra. Yeah, there's one part that that made me and Duarte so upset where Cassandra had a had a gray cat when she was a kid, which is, of course, the best kind of cat to have. But the cat knocked over the Christmas tree and her mom just like went you know completely explosive about it and was just just like christmas is over and like christmas is canceled like because of you and like your awful cat and like anyone who's had a cat knows that like that's what a cat's gonna do if you let it get near a christmas tree like obviously like that's that's on you the parent for not making your christmas tree cat proof god And on the opposite side of it, um, she had a really great relationship with her father who would tell her all the time that like he prayed when she was in the burn unit that if God would save her, he would like give her anything she ever wanted for the rest of her life. And like she was just like had a very close relationship with him and he like loved her really hard right back which was like a, a weird contrast for her between like, she couldn't understand why he didn't like protect her from her mother more frequently and like, wouldn't take her away and save her from the things her mother did. But you know, she, she ended up finding out ways to pretty much take care of herself basically from like the age of 12 on. Yeah. And there were, she will describe things we, we mentioned like old timey child neglect. There are definitely things where it's just like, like you know my own parents have described having like these wild like free range childhoods in the the 50s and 60s where it was just like yeah do whatever like there's no cell phones there's no seatbelts just like fucking whatever so there was that happening the one kind of good thing i think from her mom is that her mom and her aunt worked together to open a costume shop and so they would make really great Halloween costumes for little Cassandra, which you can see is a pretty good precursor to um, to Elvira. Uh, and she also talks about around this age, this like preteen age, getting really into like horror and sci-fi movies. And to some extent talks about how like her burns and scars made her feel like an outsider and she could kind of relate to some of these like horror characters so there's definitely some formative things happening here in in good and bad ways so cassandra becomes very interested in in music and that becomes her kind of new obsession after she slightly ages out for the moment of like horror movies and stuff and at first she gets really into elvis and he is like the first rock and roll musician that I mean, also kind of the first rock and roll musician for white people, but like, you know, the first one that she's really obsessed with. And then a few years later, the Beatles come along and then she gets like full blown Beatlemania and talks about like how she has to stop being friends with her old best friend because her her former best friend doesn't like the Beatles. And she literally is like, I can't have this negativity in my life. Bye. (laughs) (laughs) 
Yeah, she made three new friends who were like equally into the Beatles and they would like get together and do all the classic Beatlemania, like cry because they weren't all single so they couldn't date them, plastering their walls with all cutouts of pictures from magazines, like listening to their music together, watching their TV appearances together. Cassandra went the extra mile and learned how to forge their signatures so she would sell them to her classmates, which is a very funny scam. I love it. (laughs) and um you know i think something you could maybe only get away with pre-internet but good for her yeah she got very into like fashion and stuff too like she and her other beatles friends like really adopted like the mod style obviously because they're all super into the beatles and they were the only ones in their whole like town in colorado who were doing this so it made her feel very like mature and hip in a way that the other kids at school weren't and her her mom and mostly her aunt like came through and like helped like sew these clothes because they had the costume shop and so she they would help and her grandparents also gave her a gift of some new clothes that was very clutch in this defining moment for her and then also around this time like she describes having been very like skinny and flat chested and then around like 13 or 14 she like started getting the like big boobs that you now associate with Elvira and she talks about ordering a Fredericks of Hollywood push-up bra from a catalog and just being like ah yeah like this is the look for me (laughs) at at, like a pretty young age yeah um and she and her her Beatles friends got very into like music in general and she started and one of her friends started going to basically every band that came to town like their concert hall any band that came through she and her friend would go and see them and basically became like tiny groupies little baby groupies and and by the way here's my here's my first enemy uh the first one they go backstage to meet it's well it's jimmy page who's like is more known for led zeppelin but i think then he was with the yardbirds but she and her friend they're 14 they sneak backstage jimmy page sees her like immediately starts making out with her and then like drags her off and like takes his pants off and makes her touch his dick it's the first time she's seen a dick she's 14 and like hasn't really spoken any words to jimmy page he sort of just like saw her grabbed her like whipped his dick out and then she was like i'm a virgin bye and like ran off and these are the kinds of things that come earlier in the book where i'm like oh my god fucking yikes like that's that's sexual assault of a 14 year old and she's just like haha it was wild being a groupie and i was like okay i guess you know different times and she'll process this differently but then later comes like way more bad stuff yeah she uh so she talks about to like just like for all different bands that one in particular it wasn't even backstage that one they oh, figured right. out the what hotel. hotel yeah she and her friend did like low-key like groupie stalking because there are only two hotels in town so they figured that they had to be staying at one of them and when they figured out what one they made her aunt like be accomplice to this like stalking where she like let them borrow clothes because they couldn't go home because then their parents would see them and ask what they were up to. So they went to her aunt's house and borrowed clothes and then went to like knocking on doors until they found where the band was and they were hanging out with the band like all together in one room. And then Jimmy Page came in and saw her and like grabbed her and pulled her out of the room. It was just wild. And, and like a lot of the bands that she talks about, like there are times she talks about like making out with different guys uh, in these various bands. But a lot of times like also like some of the bands are very chill and like recognize the fact that they're children. <laughs> 
literal children yes and are just like yeah like come hang out with us we'll sign some autographs for you don't like we're not gonna have sex with you because you're literal children yeah and and throughout this a couple things are, are like a through line and one is that she kind of learns that just by being like confident and asking and like trying for things a lot of times you can like get backstage or get a ticket or like get what you want especially if you like have big boobs and are dressed cute, even if you are 14. Yes. And also throughout this, like, she is, like, she, you know, describes herself as boy crazy and thinks boys are cute and she wants to make out with them, but she doesn't want to have sex with them. And she, you know, and I, and I don't want to derail this with the talk about how, like, the concept of virginity is, like, gross and the concept of, like, losing your virginity, like, whatever. But, like, she's very big on, like, I'm keeping my virginity. I don't want to, like, lose my virginity. I'm not having sex. And that's, like, a big through line for her throughout this is she's having these, like, horny teens where she's, like, literally making out with rock stars but not having sex with them. And, like, good for her. Yeah, and overall, like, it ends up being a really, like good message in a way i mean it's it's terrible because terrible things continue to happen to her around her sexuality but she does like reach a point where she's like okay like i think i'm ready to have sex and she chooses someone to have sex with who like she is familiar with who like she grew up with and who she knows really well and then like after she does it she's like oh well i'm glad i weighed it but also like it wasn't a very big deal and i understand that now so she somehow manages to give both messages of like it's important that you wait until you're ready, but also sex isn't a big deal, which can feel contradictory at times. Yeah. You know what's wild about this book is, okay, so we we read Anita Franco's memoir, which we hated. And if you didn't listen to the episode, like spoilers, we hated it and it was bad. And the thing about thinking about Ani's memoir versus Elvira's is, is I think Ani DeFranco is someone who like self-identifies like would be held up frequently as like a feminist icon and yet her book felt so like mean to other women and Elvira I would say is maybe not necessarily someone you'd be like oh what a what a feminist icon although now having read the book I absolutely would but her book it's so like generous to other women and so like sexually empowered but also understanding like uh it's just it's good it is very good and it is very and that is something that i noticed too is that there's a lot of other women along the way who help her out who she is very like even when she's talking about different jobs she has with like other girls who like there there are a lot of points where it it really opens up for her to be catty about women she used to work with who maybe are not as successful as she is now but instead of being that she's like oh yeah like she was kind of bitchy to us but you know what like I was an annoying teenager so I kind of deserved it and she was really cool actually yeah which I thought was really cool which I guess also I should say this too I didn't realize this from when we started reading it and I guess this is just how time works but she's 70 now yeah and just like so cool and chill and that's the other thing is she's 70 and Anita Franco is is like well now like I think 51 or something but yes she's like 20 years older than Anita Franco but much more progressive like yeah you know and and not necessarily in a way where like i don't think elvira would go and like stand the green party or whatever but just like more accepting and more um she's not she's like she's like the type of person who doesn't necessarily like 
wouldn't necessarily say like, oh, yes, like, here are the particular phrases within the social justice lexicon of things that I believe. But because she like, generally believes that like, people should be equal. And you know, that racism is bad, and that homophobia is bad. And that, you know, all of these things are bad, like, she is living out those ideals without necessarily having words that she would put to them. Because like most of us, she just thinks that that's how you should treat other people. Yes. Uh, she's so good. God, I love her. <laughs> I love her. Uh, another thing that I love about this time period of her life is that Colorado Springs had a legit under 21 nightclub called Hullabaloo. So she had like a bronze in her town, the Hullabaloo. And so she got a job there, though, as a go-go dancer when she was 14, which is so sketchy. Well, she so she started, didn't she? She started, though, at a different because I think it was the Hubbabaloo had the contest, the go-go contest. But when she won, she was dancing at an actual like adults only bar, oh, despite the fact that she was 14. Yes, you're right about that. Yeah. And then after that, all still this whole time, like because she graduates high school early because she is really like done with school and it's sort of like by the skin of her teeth like she graduates when she's 17 so everything we're talking about here is she's under 18 and so she, yeah she you're right she did the contest at the underage club but then became a go-go dancer at like a, a real bar and then shortly after she started there i was like oh actually the the fort carson army base hires go-go dancers to be on the base to like keep the army guys to stay on the base and like not go into town and have their own like private army club and so she's like 15 and she works at the army club yeah, because it's the hours are better. When she's working at the go-go yes. bar, like, she has to dance from, like, oh, 10 p.m. to, like, 2 a.m. And then she has to go home and go to sleep for a couple of hours and then get up and go to school in the morning. Yeah. <laughs> and, and she the, does yeah. it at the, the army base, like, she's done by 10 o'clock. Yes. But it's it's wild, A, that there was an army go-go club. Like, I don't know. I guess I don't know what it's like on an army base and if they still have that. But if they do, I bet they check IDs and don't hire 15-year-olds. <laughs> and then despite, like, being like, yeah, like, we did it because, like, the guys were nicer and the you know the hours were better on her way home from the army base one night she's like ah there's this club that i pass all the time that i've never stopped at before i should stop there and then she discovers it's a drag bar and discovers Mm -hmm. drag for the first time and it's like oh my god this is incredible this is what i've wanted to do my entire life and then she starts working there like they're like oh well you're a 14 year old girl and wear a drag bar that is typically only performed at by drag queens but we like you and we like your spirit so we're gonna hire you to dance yeah she's just like a little baby and she (laughs) befriends them and like takes them and then like her aunt starts sewing dresses for the drag queens because you know it can be hard to find a dress in a drag queen size ah it's it's so good also throughout she refers to like her her clothes and hairstyle and makeup that she wears as the Elvira character as her Elvira drag. And I think that's right. I think Elvira basically is like a a drag queen, but who's, you know, performed by a cisgender woman. It's very, is all just, is very, as bizarre as this sounds to say, when you're like, oh yes, a 14 year old girl who is dancing at a club. It's really wholesome. Yes. Yes, it's it's somehow like the shadiest thing I've ever heard in my life and also really sweet and wholesome. Yes. <laughs> it is both. <laughs> 
it's because it like genuinely like she makes these connections with these these drag performers and they're just like yeah like we think you you've got a lot of spunk like we think that you're really talented like we're gonna look out for you we're gonna you know really take you under our wings and you know it's it's the like fucking 1960s in Colorado and she's just like yeah like I I get this I'm into this this is cool like yeah it just I it's very sweet there, uh, though she does, so that's when she first like sees drag queens lip syncing, and she's like, "Oh, that's cool. I'd like to do that." And then she convinces a different, cl- like a full strip club, to be like, "Hey, like I'm 15, and I don't want to like strip and show my boobs, but could I just like lip sync while I'm wearing like a bikini?" And they were like, "No, people want to see boobs." And she's like, "Can I just try it?" And they were like, "I guess." And then she, like, tries doing just sort of sexy lip syncing, but not stripping in a strip club. And it's not performed well. And she, um, or not, it's not received well. And uh, she has to move on from that idea. Yeah, one of the things, and it keeps coming up, one of the things that she's most proud of is when she's working at the first go-go bar, a guest performer comes through who dances with pasties with tassels and, like, swings her tassels while she's dancing, and... She's like, I bet I could learn how to do that. So she has her her mother and aunt sew her like a bikini top with tassels attached to it and yeah. learns how to how to do that. And then it becomes like a staple of her career, like all the way through Elvira times. Yeah. Like she's she's just like getting the most that she can out of her teen years. Yeah. She goes to so she goes to Europe and kind of surprises everyone because she's made all this really good money dancing in all these different clubs. So when there's a school trip to Europe, she's like, all right, I'm going and like pays for it all herself. And everyone is kind of shocked because at this point, she's kind of checked out of school. You know, she has drama and art and music that she like really likes until her drama teacher tries to cop a feel and she shoves him away and then he fails her. One of the many things that is kind of brushed off, yeah, has like a low key thing that like was irritating but not terrible because we later find out many more terrible things happen. But she, so she had saved up this money to go on this trip uh, because she wants to go to Europe because she still loves the Beatles and she really like wants to feel like worldly, cultural, worldly, yeah, yeah. Um, So she goes to Europe and like tours around Europe for a while and like goes to England and has she she just has a good time. Yeah, there's not on that. She doesn't like meet the Beatles or anything, but she just like has a good time and and makes note that like, yeah, I like traveling. I want to do more of this. Yeah. So I think after this, she goes home and they're having this big music festival in Denver that's kind of seen as like a precursor to Woodstock. I think it's the same year and like months prior. Yeah, the Denver Pop Festival. Yeah. And she's so stoked because Jimi Hendrix is going to be there and she loves him. And she and her friend who she goes to all these shows with, they like get tickets for every day. And she makes a comment where she's like tickets were $6 a day or $15 for all the days. And if you went to a show today, $15 wouldn't even buy you a beer, which is Mm -hmm. so depressingly true. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, you know, inflation, like that also was more money back then, but also, yeah. yeah. But she, so while she's there, there's like, I think the first day goes fine. And then the second day people start like lining up early and like start to like 
I don't know if it's like rush the stage or just fill in up towards the stage and then the police go wild and start throwing tear gas into the crowd assuming they're a mob including like she gets hit on the head with a canister of tear gas and knocked out Mm -hmm. brought to like a medical tent and kind of cleaned up and she's like really upset and then as she's trying to wander back to the stage, because she's like, ah, oh, Jimi Hendrix probably started performing and I'm going to miss it. She walks by this trailer and this guy standing outside is like, hey, do you want to meet Jimi Hendrix? <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. And she's like, uh, yeah. And then surprise, this is not a story of her getting like assaulted in a tent. It's like she just goes and meets Jimi Hendrix and they have like a chill time. Yeah, and then, like, she gets, it is It is very sad for her, though, because her, like, breaks, he breaks her little 14-year-old heart because as she's going, he gives her his phone number so that they can talk more after the concert, and she calls, like, when she meets up with her friend again, she's like, oh, like, let's call him, and he's so stoned and high by that point that he can't, like, even talk to her on the phone, and yeah. she's she's heartbroken. And then, like, two months after that or something, like, he died. Yeah, I guess. So she she goes to these shows, she meets these bands, and she decides that what she wants to do in life, like, really wants to do in life is become a showgirl in Vegas. Because her art teacher is like, I think you should go to art school. And when she mentions that to her parents, like, her mom is like, well, why would we pay for you to go to art school? That's stupid. Like, where do you think that money's coming from? You're not that good anyway. So she's like, well, fuck, I guess I'm not doing that. And then she's like, well, I actually, you know, now that I think about it, what I think this is what I really want to do. And her art teacher's like, yeah, chase your dream. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but not but not in a pervy way. So good for him. Yeah. And then this is wild to me and something that's hard to imagine, but it also seems sort of on par with everything else. So when she's a senior in high school, 17, her family takes like a spring break trip to Las Vegas in the 60s, which is when it was like, you know, now I feel like Vegas is more family friendly and they have like more shows for all ages, but they didn't really then. And they go to like a showgirl show, like a topless showgirl show. Which Cassandra really wanted to. She's like, I want to see the showgirls. I want to go. And her parents are like, I guess. Yeah, she begged them. They were. It was a stopover on a trip somewhere else. And then like when they were there, she was like, no, we have to go to the show. We have to go. We have to go. And finally like wore them down. Yeah. And then when they're there, like randomly the someone who works at the club is like, oh, are you one of the showgirls? And she's like, haha, no, I'm just like here for the show. And then they bring her back to meet the like director of of the show which is when he's like oh i gotta hire you like actually he like has her measured (laughs) and she's slightly too short but he's like because he wants all the showgirls to be at least five seven but she's like so hot that he's like ah it's fine you're you know you can still be a showgirl like let's get a contract signed for you and she's like yes my dreams are coming true but she's under 17 and then she has to persuade her parents that this is an okay idea it's actually in another like weirdly wholesome moment. She her parents were like, Well, we'll go to the show with you, but you're not 18. Like they won't let you in. She's like, No, like I promise you I can get in. Like if I just walk in and I'm confident enough, they'll let me in. And her parents are like, yeah. Okay, well, if they don't, then that's the end of this. But they do, because like as she has learned earlier, like if her tits are so nice and she looks mature enough <laughs> that they basically let her do whatever they she wants. So when the guy comes up to her and starts talking to her, she's really nervous because she thinks 
thinks it's because he knows she's underage. And when he takes her back to the office to meet with the director, she like breaks down and she's like, I'm only 17. (laughs) I'm sorry. (laughs) And he's like, no, I want to hire you. Yeah, (laughs) This isn't a ploy. I I really do want to hire you. Yeah. And so she's like, well, I have to finish high school and it's, it's for a, it's for a new show that's opening up. So he's like, okay, well, we're not going to start rehearsals to the summer. So that's great. And so they, they leave Vegas with kind of a, like, we'll talk about it vibe. And also while she's there in, in Las Vegas on that first trip, she, um, well, she's upset because she thinks she won't be able to do this because she's under 17. And so like, while she's like crying in a bathroom, she meets a cocktail waitress Who's like, oh, well, if you come back to Vegas, like, you can just live with me. And Cassandra's like, great, can I get your number? And then, spoiler, like, her parents do agree to let her go work in Vegas after they get a lawyer to look at the contract and they decide it's legit. So she, like, you know, scrapes through graduate high school, signs this contract, goes back to Vegas and is like, hey, random, random cocktail waitress, can I still live with you? And she's like, oh, yeah, totally. And she doesn't name this woman. I don't know if it's because, like, she doesn't remember at this point or just because of privacy or whatever but like she doesn't name this woman but she just like is nice and chill and lets baby cassandra live with her uh until she starts getting those showgirl paychecks and it's just you know it's definitely the kind of story where it could have been like and then she like robbed and murdered me but it's just like no she was like a chill waitress who had a younger sister and and they had a nice time Yeah. And she, you know, she really like likes being a showgirl. She has a great time. She feels very glamorous. Yeah. She like loves the the costumes and it's like very exhausting work. So it's a lot of like costume changes, but she like genuinely enjoys it. And she like talks about all her different co-workers. And this is where she goes in and she's like, oh, well, like she seemed a little snobby, but probably it was because of X, Y, and Z. And, you know, also like I was an annoying teenager. Like she describes all of these girls and does a really good job of like, differentiating them all as characters Mm -hmm. and also like making it clear that there are some that she didn't get along with but not not doing it in a bitchy way which stuck out to me yeah she she dances for a while and because at that time in las vegas like showgirls were like royalty you could Mm -hmm. basically especially because this was like a really well thought of show by like a really well sought after choreographer and director called vive les girls yes <laughs> which in 1960 was the peak of sophistication yes and they basically could do could were invited to different shows with different like artists constantly you know all different there's she just like goes through a ton of celebrity cameos in these chapters about vegas where she talks about like oh and then like this night i was at little richard show and he was like don't smoke it's bad for you it'll ruin your lungs what he says is like if god wanted you to smoke he would have put a chimney in your head (laughs) (laughs) yeah and the best one of these, the best one of these, I'm going to do a mini dramatic reading because I'm obsessed. Uh, she does get to meet Elvis, who has been, you know, her her first favorite even before the Beatles. And they have this like long, wholesome conversation where he also is like, don't do drugs. Drugs are bad. Like, you, you know, don't become a messed up showgirl. And then they talk about numerology. And then he writes some numerology stuff on an envelope and gives it to her. And she still has this envelope as a treasured possession. And it like, it was addressed to Vernon Presley. And you know, the the envelope was like an Elvis envelope. And he's written on it, historical, Torah, 12, omen, bright, 
home, alm, omen, infinity sign, infinity sign, love, L, history, 26 minus 8, infinity sign, present, mankind, light, death. And then the back page is like the same and it's just like nonsense words. And she talks about how he was like just going on for hours about like how meaningful this is. Like that sounds right. (laughs) Yeah, it was. He and his entourage came to see their show and they bought out the whole thing. So it was just them. And then she had this like hours long conversation with him where he was basically like, astrology is great (laughs) and did like this numerology thing for her it was just wild like that's like the thing is that this every she has so many insane account totally bonkers encounters with different celebrities over the years that like it sounds like it must be fake except it's not like she has I mean I mean I guess I should say in in the spirit of Michelle remembers like I I don't think this has been fact checked but she did have the Elvis envelope so Yeah and there's like other other things like because even like I skimmed her Wikipedia page after this and like mm-hmm. there's all like all sorts of things that I thought were super bonkers there's like corroborating news items that like, I mean, some of them, like, obviously no one is going to be able to say for real if little Richard told her if, if God wanted her to smoke, you'd give her head a chimney. But, like, there, there's other things that are wild that, like, are actually corroborated by things that are cross-referenced on her Wikipedia page. Like, she just had this insanely interesting life. Yeah. If half the things in this book are true, she had an insanely interesting life. Yeah. So uh, around this time, she goes back home to Colorado on vacation. And this is actually when she has, you know, intercourse for the first time and loses her virginity to the childhood friend and is like, oh, that was like a nice time and and not not as big of a deal as I thought. And then in this chapter, she talks about how she'd really wanted to go on the Howard Stern show. And so her manager was like, if you tell this story, you can be on Howard Stern, like definitely. And she was embarrassed about it and then she told the story and i was like i don't understand how this would be like a funny time on the howard stern show because this is an awful story uh i mean it is a good name drop and so here's the name drop is that tom jones who is you know famously sexy question mark like the question mark is just me still being like i still don't really understand how and why he was such a sex symbol personally but i know that he was one and like was rumored to have like a famously big dick and you know they met in in vegas like he was in vegas she's in vegas i don't remember now if he went to her show or she went to his but they met she went she went to his because she i she makes a big deal about how like she was not interested in him like she's very into music but wasn't into his music but then mm. a friend had like extra tickets so she went and he was such an electric dynamic performer that That's suddenly right. like it all yeah. clicked in her head like oh this is why people love him yeah and so th- you know then they talk after and then they they go kind of to his hotel room or to his house. I think I think it wasn't even a hotel. Whatever. The point is, like, he pretty aggressively starts having sex with her. And she's, you know, at first she's, like, into it because it's, like, it was Tom Jones and whatever. But then she kind of, like, wants him to stop and he's not stopping. And he's just, like, has a really big dick and she's not into it. And then she's, like, you have to stop. Like, this hurts so bad. And she's, like, bleeding. And he's, like, well, what? Like, what are you talking about? And she's like, I'm a virgin, which is 
at that point, I guess technically untrue by the definition, but this is like the second time she's had sex, maybe. And he was being like so rough that she like had to go to the emergency room and get like stitches because he fucked her up so bad. And he just was like, I, I like you expect me to believe that you're like this sexy showgirl and you're a virgin. That's ridiculous. And just like not at all concerned about the fact that she is like injured by his dick. Like, fuck you, Tom Jones. Yeah, she's bleeding. She tells this story when she gets back to like the house she shares with a bunch of the other showgirls. And one of them is like, it's been like 12 hours and you're still bleeding like nonstop. Like you have to go to the doctor. Uh, And that's when she like finds out she needs stitches because yeah. Because of his dick. And so I can't, I tried to look because I was so curious. I tried to see if I could find like an audio clip or whatever of this Howard Stern appearance. And I couldn't find it online, but I did find a celebbitchy.com like posting that was like reporting like on the Howard Stern show today, like a virus said this and all the comments, not all of them, but like in a like, why did I read the comments? I don't know. Cause I was hoping someone would post a link to the audio, I guess. But there were so many nasty comments. They're like, oh yeah, right. Like I don't believe Elvira was a virgin. Like, why would she say that? Like, that's nasty. And I'm like, no one is properly mad at Tom Jones about this. And so all of the commenters on celebbitchy.com are also on the enemies list. (laughs) Yeah. And it's, I, and correct me if I'm wrong too, like in, and there's, there's a lot of reasons why this guy ends up initially, eventually on my shit list, uh, my enemies list for, to protect Cassandra Peterson. Yes. (laughs) But she doesn't really want to tell this story. She ends up regretting having told it. Mm -hmm. She's not like happy about the circumstances at all. And the person who tells her to tell it is her husband. Oh, yes, because he's her manager. Yeah, and I couldn't, because there were two guys who were managing for her for a while, and I couldn't remember if it was the other guy or if it was her husband, but either way. Let me just double check. I think, let me just double check. Yeah, nope. Mark, comma, my husband and manager at the time told them the smarmiest, most sensational story he could possibly come up with about me to get me on the show as a guest. Gross. Yeah. And we're going to get into him later, but like, Jesus Christ. Yeah. And then and then this part is heartbreaking is that even though like Tom Jones was awful to her, but because Cassandra was so like, I mean, partly because of the low self-esteem because of all the other shit that happened to her and partly maybe just because he was so otherwise charismatic, she was still like, oh, but we're like boyfriend and girlfriend, right? Because we had sex and she like tries to see him again and he just like blows her off and is like the fucking worst. Yeah, it's not great. And this is this is like kind of the beginning of the end of her time in Vegas. I'm realizing now that we have so much more to cover still. I know. We're like halfway through. We have not even gotten to Elvira. But like that's also the structure of the book is like the Elvira stuff is almost an afterthought to like yeah. all this other wild shit. Um, but so she realizes that like while she did like love being a showgirl it's been long enough now that she's like kind of bored by it. Like she doesn't, she's not like as excited about it anymore. She's finds it all to be kind of a chore. And she decides that she wants to leave like on a high note, as opposed to like waiting and becoming like the oldest showgirl in Vegas. So mm-hmm. her, some friends that she met while she was working on the show are in Europe and she goes to visit them and stays with them for a while. And then decides to go to Rome after, visiting them yeah i think they're french anyway like she yeah she's she's traveling around europe as as her dream and her sister her younger sister melody her parents agree to send her to come like visit and stay with them and at first they're having some kind of like 
she ends up as in she like loves movies in addition to music and she ends up as like a featured extra in Fellini's movie Roma which I'm not a film buff but I know that's like fucking famous yeah and she so she realizes at first she and her sister just do it because they're like oh yeah of course we want to be in a movie by Fellini and then they realize they get paid for it so then they start seeking out work as paid extras yeah, and so for a little while they make enough movie doing that, but then things get rough. They have some like really rough times. Her sister leaves her to go out like with a boyfriend that she just met. Her she doesn't want her to go. Cassandra doesn't want her sister to go, but like can't stop her. Uh so she starts seeing this other guy, but then she finds out that like he's into like some bad shit, but because of the language barrier, she can't even like tell how much bad shit and he like locks her in his basement apartment for Mm -hmm. like a week yeah she's like malnourished and was like i i don't know if it was a full but like a long time and enough to be like very scary and then the friend like the the boyfriend's question mark the the man's partner in crime literally comes and like lets her out of the basement it's just like run and so she like flees but she's like lost everything she has like just the clothes on her back scary yeah she makes her way back to the the rooming house she was staying at but because she was gone for so long they gave her room away but they still have all her shit so she calls a friend that she had made to see if she can stay with her and the friend's like yeah of course but doesn't realize till she gets her that's in like a shitty part of town yeah the friend is actually just squatting and she's like yeah you can share this like abandoned building that i'm squatting in with me yeah and she's like yeah i make all my money by scamming guys by pretending to be a sex worker and asking for money up front and telling them to meet me somewhere else and then never showing up cassandra feels like shitty about this but she's like i gotta make money somehow so she goes in on this like scam with her and it works a few times and then she wakes up one morning and all of her stuff except her passport is gone and this girl has just stolen everything from her and left so once again she's like without anything and alone and then this is another wild thing she mentioned earlier and we didn't even mention it because there's so much other stuff to discuss but in vegas one of her closest showgirl friends dates wilt chamberlain the like famous basketball player slash sex haver and so he they like randomly bump into him and she's like oh my god like Wilt, like hey and he is so nice and like takes her and her sister out to dinner and gives them money and just like really like kind of saves the day unexpectedly yeah so they're they're able to like get a room again and her sister ends up going back to the shitty boyfriend but cassandra joins a band she gets a job as a singer and then like joins like a touring band does that for a while until one night like she's she's having an okay time of it her parents have flown out to italy to like visit her and see her perform and while they're there she and the other female singer find out that the rest of the guys in the band are making literally twice what they're making yeah and when you say rest of the guys like the the male members of the band. yes yeah the male members of the band are making twice as much as they are and that's the last straw and she's like okay i'm done with this experiment and mm-hmm. goes back to the uh u.s yeah and her sister melody also went home a little bit earlier and she- she had gotten like some pretty bad drug addiction issues in Rome. And so Cassandra calls to have the parents come and help and get Melody like home to rehab, which is like a recurring issue for both of Cassandra's sisters that pops yeah. in and out of the narrative. 
But anyway, back in the U.S., Cassandra, like, through some connection and gets offered a job at the Playboy Club in Miami, which she says is, like, great and really glamorous and, like, even better than Vegas for a little while. And, you know, they pay her room and board and it's it's a good it's a good life, especially yeah. compared to, like, squatting in Rome. Yes. So she meets this guy, Matt, who she knew, I think, when she was in Vegas. It's hard. There's so many. You would need to make, like, a big murder string board of, like, how she meets and keeps track of everyone. But, like, yeah, probably. Yeah. So they, they start out as friends, and then they start dating. And she moves to L.A. with him, and she's trying. She decides she wants to be an actress, so she's trying to get an agent, and she's doing that by... Like, essentially going through the book of agents and calling everyone to try and get a meeting. And the only person who will take her call is, like, a a guy who wants to scam her into having sex with him. And she's, like, Mm. pissed and mad. And then, weirdly, she's, like, she couldn't get a SAG card. And you can't really get a lot of work without a SAG card. But it's really hard to get a SAG card unless you have work. Mm -hmm. SAG is Screen Actors Guild, if if you didn't know. Yes, yes. If you're you're unfamiliar. It's like the, the actors union. So she, when she's in back home visiting friends in Colorado, someone who, like, they're they're doing, someone's putting up a show for Goldie Hawn is like, oh, could you show Goldie Hawn around Colorado? Like, you know, she's never been and we need someone to, like, keep her busy while we're setting up this show. And she's like, yeah, of course. And, like, takes her shopping and takes her, shows her around, like, the city. And so, like, as a favor to her, Goldie Hawn gets her, like, a one-line part in a show so that she can apply for her SAG card. Yeah. Yeah. She talks in this about it being hard. And this is something that in 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 other hands, I think could be like a complaint that you would maybe not take seriously, even though I definitely have heard similar things from other actresses or whatever, but that she's like, oh, you can't be both sexy and funny. You have to be like either sexy or funny. And like, I'm just too sexy. But like, it is a problem. <laughs> it is a problem. And like, she is very funny. Um, But you know, people like only want her to be sexy or whatever. And so that's also like an ongoing problem that she faces in like trying to get parts. Yeah, there's a wild story in here about how she's at a party with her, her on again, off again boyfriend, Matt, and he wants to they go together, even though they're not, I think, dating at that point. But then he wants to leave because she's like flirting with this guy. And she doesn't want to leave. And when they get out to the car, like, he's like trying to force her into the car and she doesn't want to go. And then someone comes up, the guy who she had been flirting with comes up from behind and like slams him into the car and is like, get your hands off her, leave her alone. And then the guy offers to take her back to her apartment. And he's like really chill and not like gross. Like I was waiting for this to be like a sexual assault story, but no, like he's really nice and they talk and he's like, yeah, like I'm an actor. I'm going back to New York tomorrow. I'm having like a really good time talking with you, though. I just got cast in The Godfather. By the way, my name is Robert De Niro. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> she has a lot of stories like that where she'll tell the story, and then at the end, it's like, and that person was. It's like a it's like a Paul Harvey rest of the story, but like <laughs> Elvira specific. <laughs> That's a reference I've made before and will make again for the like three people in the audience who are there to receive it. <laughs> uh, she gets a lot of jobs like doing like hostessy type stuff where she'll like 
help out on like interview sets and on film sets. She does a lot of like body double work for movie posters. Uh, she gets a job like scouting talent for a couple of rock shows. And there's, there's another like big string of rock star cameos in this part. She meets Queen and she's there with like a guy who she, a, a queer dude who she's like kind of flirting with. And it's all of Queen and her and this guy in the back of the limo. And then when they get to the hotel, like Freddie Mercury storms off, but the rest of the band is like, oh, whatever, let's hang out. And they hang out and have a great time. And she later finds out that the guy she was flirting with used to hook up with Freddie Mercury. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's why he was so mad. And and to be clear, the guy the guy she was flirting with was flirting back. I mean, clearly, you know, bye yes, or yes. whatever. Like was was interested and that was probably the more offensive part to freddie yes yes but yeah she took like brian may antiquing like incredible <laughs> it's so wild so she then there's this whole chapter where she just talks about all the terrible sexual assault and terrible things and, that have and, happened to her yeah including so we won't go into that because it is pretty much just a list of like those other times i was able to brush off but here's the times that people like actually penetratively raped me and one of them is wilt chamberlain which is a bummer cause she's like oh he was always so nice to me but then later in life i saw him party and he just like fully aggressively raped me and you know later when his book came out and he bragged about having sex with more than twenty thousand women which is like famously a thing that he said uh quote i had to wonder how many of those women actually consented to having sex with him which is a yeah yeah i mean not surprising i guess for a guy who would say that but also like enemy yeah it's it's a bummer because she trusted him like that's yeah that's what makes it like you know he she was friendly with him in vegas he saved her and her sister and did this like really great good samaritan thing he didn't have to do And she even talks about how, like, when she started seeing him around L.A., she would go to his parties all the time and she would bring friends because she knew him. So it seemed like a cool, safe place they could go and she didn't have to worry. And then, like, one day he's like, oh, let me show you, like, my special basketball closet. And she goes with him because (laughs) why shouldn't she trust him? And he shows her where he's got all his, like, basketball jerseys lined up and she doesn't care about sports. So she's like, oh, yeah, that's great. And then he rapes her. And... It just sucks. It just sucks. Anyway, so that's just like, she just sort of like lumped all those stories into a chapter entitled, You'll Never Work in This Town Again. But she did. So good for her. <sighs> um, She goes, she tours with a gay music review show called Mama's Boys, which is great. And so that gets her out of LA for a little while. Then there is a chapter... Okay, two things happen in the next chapter. One is that she she is so, like, sweet and naive, like, even after all this time. So she gets fully tricked into doing a nude photo shoot because she she's fine with being topless, but she wants to keep her underwear on. And they're like, oh, well, we're not – we're only photographing, like, from the waist up, but just take your underwear off so it doesn't, like, make weird shadows or whatever. And she's like, oh, okay. And then, like, they later blackmail – when she gets more famous, those photos come back and kind of, like, blackmail her, which, like, sucks. Yeah. But then also in this chapter, she learns the secret – and she reads a book called The Science of Mind by Ernest Holmes, which Elvis also read. Flashback to that weird numerology shit Elvis told her earlier. And then she explicitly in the narrative says, like, this same idea later became popular as The Secret. And I'm like, oh, my God, like, Elvira used The Secret. Yeah, she, it, she like, because she's, she's ready to give up. She's really depressed. So she essentially writes a vision board. She writes down, like, in detail everything she wants out of her life. Yeah. 
And then as as a step toward that, and this is iconic, she's like, well, I do want to be an actor and I don't want to be doing this like weird music tour. I want to be an actor. And so she signs up for Groundling classes. The Groundlings are like a really famous comedy troupe in L.A. and like, you know, kind of still still famous and, you know, a big feeding ground for like Saturday Night Live and stuff like I had no idea that Cassandra Peterson was a very early Groundling and she, like she was a Groundling at the same time as Phil Hartman and Paul Rubens, aka Pee Wee Herman, of course, um, and also a guy named John Paragon, who I hadn't heard of, but who later became her writing partner for all the Elvira stuff. And like she, you know, the Groundlings is a whole thing where like you take the classes and then if you're good, you get selected to be in like the performing group, the Groundlings. And so she does take the classes, but pretty quickly it becomes like an active member of the Groundlings. Yeah. Which fucking rocks. Yeah, she's just it's and she like becomes friends with with all of these because it's Paul Phil Hartman and Paul Rubens and she names like four other like fairly famous yeah. comedians. Like, th- those yeah, those are the ones who are like actively groundlings at the same time as hers. But then because of that, she meets like Lorraine Newman and like um, people who already were taken out of groundlings to be in Saturday Night Live or to like do other stuff like any famous 70s comedian basically like she name drops now like she's moved on from name dropping all the rock stars to like comedy name drops yeah but again in like a cool way so during this time she ends up uh, meeting her future husband as well Mm -hmm. his name is Mark something who cares he's on the enemies list spoiler it's true. And so the book opens with her. Oh, it was Donna Kaufman. Donna Kaufman was, she met at the Groundlings, right? So she gets a call from Donna while she's on her honeymoon with her like new husband saying like, there's a audition for, they're doing, they need a new horror host. And I've told my friend who's holding new auditions about you and he wants to meet you. You have to come back to LA right now. And she's like, I'm on my honeymoon. And she's like, no, 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 you have to. And she's like, I've done so many auditions. Like I'm going to be 30 next month. Like... I I can't give up my honeymoon to come do an audition. It's probably not going to go anywhere. Mm-hmm. And when she comes back from her honeymoon, they're still doing auditions because they still haven't found someone. So she like goes over and she does an audition and she's concerned because everyone else auditioning that day is in full costume. Oh yeah. I forgot about this. And she hadn't been told that. Like she called the director and he was like, no, just come tomorrow. Like come at this time to this place. So she shows up and she's like in her normal clothes and everyone else is dressed in like Morticia Adams esque costume. And she's like, well, Mm -hmm. fuck, I'm never going to get it now. Mm -hmm. But she punches up the script while she's waiting. Yeah. Cause she's funny and a good writer. Yeah. We love her. She does it and she gets the the gig. And this is where, did we talk about the Vampira thing at the top of the show? I I think very briefly, I said we talk about it later. And and this is, I guess I should admit, I have not dug into this as deeply as maybe I could or should have. But besides from reading Elvira's book, but like before I read this, like when, I think it was like right when the news about Elvira coming out was like circulating. I definitely saw a Twitter thread that was like, friendly reminder like El- uh, Elvira stole her character from this older woman and like left her broke and destitute after stealing her life's work and I was like oh shit and like now I've only really read that Twitter thread and then Elvira's perspective but I I don't think I don't think so <laughs> yeah I read like one additional article about it and I'm pretty firmly on 
Elvira's side. Like, apparently, originally, they wanted this character to be Vampira. They wanted to revive Vampira. But then the woman who... Malia... Nermi. Mela Nermi. Mela Nermi. And and Vampira was, I mean, basically like a like what Elvira did, a horror hostess who who dressed up in this sexy black outfit and announced the horror movies in like the 50s. And then so this was going to be a revival. And it was going to be like Vampira's daughter or something. They hadn't like quite shook out what it was going to be. And it turned out that like she had an actress in mind who she wanted them to hire and it wasn't Cassandra Peterson because she didn't want it to be a comedian. They didn't want it to be a comedy actress. So once she found out they hired Cassandra, she was like, no, I'm like withdrawing the rights. Like you can't use the vampire name. And they were like, okay, well we're already doing this show. So we're just going to make up a character then and like keep going with our like funny show we want to make. So they do. And, and this is funny. They have everyone, like all the crew, just be like, everyone pick a new like horror host's name and write it and we'll literally pick one out of a hat. And so she picks Elvira out of a hat, literally, which is it's a good name. Yeah. She said the name she put in the hat was Cassandra and she in retrospect was glad that she didn't pick that one. Yeah. But she so it, it became like this whole thing where like the woman sued them. Because they were like, oh, you just stole the Vampira idea from me. And it's like, well, we, you know, really, you stole it from Morticia Adams and you said so in interviews. Yes. And she failed to show up in court and the judge ruled against her anyway, saying like, this isn't, like, this isn't copyright infringement. Like, you can't claim that just because the two characters, like, have some similarities. Yeah, you can't trademark vibes. Yeah. Yeah, and it it seems clear and... And Cassandra is sympathetic toward Mela too, that like she was a woman who seemed to be having like a mental health crisis. And she said like the time that she met her, she would talk about James Dean in the present tense and just really seemed like really out of it. And, you know, I'm, I'm sure that in the fifties, like the studio didn't pay her very well for Vampire. Like I'm sure that Mela Nurmi like has been fucked over by the system, but just not by Elvira personally. Yeah. And it's, I think the, probably like the key difference is that the article that I read specifically said that Mela did not have the rights to Vampira. Like she didn't own the Vampira rights. Yeah. Which is something that Cassandra's managers, her husband and this other guy who ends up working with them, that's like the first thing this guy they hire does. He's like, well, you need the rights because if you don't have them, they can do anything with this character and you don't have to be associated with it. So like, that's the first thing we're doing. And that's, so like at at first, like her husband, Mark, is her only manager and then they, it seems like Mark's getting in over his head. So then they get this other guy who is an experienced manager who was Todd Rundgren's manager named Eric Gardner to be like the co-manager. And that's Eric's first thing it was like, well, like, what the fuck? Like, yeah, I get the rights. And then as an aside, she's like, and like KKH, the TV station where I started, like eventually somehow was owned by Disney. So if they still own the rights, then Disney would own the rights. And that would have been fucked. So yeah good job good job to eric gardner none to mark goodbye yeah the other thing that was mentioned too is because i guess i guess she doesn't own like the total rights to the vampire name but she does have like she had opportunities to do things like this to make money and she never really did for various reasons who knows why 
And, Whereas, and some like, of them, it's interesting that Cassandra, like, when she describes meeting Mela, she's like, oh, she was in her 60s and just, like, clearly couldn't do this anymore. Whereas Elvira is 70 and super hot. But, like, it didn't seem like Mela had, like, again, like, her mental health seemed bad, but I think also her physical health. Like, I think she just wasn't in any way able to do the kind of, like, hosting jobs or whatever that she could have made money from. Yeah, because I was in this article that I read was just specifically pointing out that like Cassandra Peterson has done like a really good job of keeping Elvira like in even even if it's not like actively like with the show, like keeping her in like comic appearances and like other things so that she was making money off the brand all of these years. And it's kind of like kept her going. And she talks in this book about how like sometimes it it didn't it, she was not making enough money and it was like a really tight squeeze but also like you know this was like a sharp business decision that that a lawyer instructed her to do and it basically was her saving grace yeah and why she continues to be relevant and by the way it's it's going to feel like we're like now just rushing through the Elvira part but that is also the pace of this book is like there's just a few chapters of Elvira, one chapter about her beloved girlfriend T and then end of book. And so it just like really ramps up. And so we're hitting that like huge ramp of Elvira. I, I guess is like huge in the eighties. And she talks, there's a whole chapter about being the Coors beer Halloween lady. And I guess also side note, Coors beer is the one who trademarked queen of Halloween and not Elvira. So Coors can make anyone the queen of Halloween, which it, that is, I, Again, unlike I was a baby in the 80s, so obviously I was not drinking Coors beer, but they are not my primary association with the Queen of Halloween. That's fucking wild. Yeah. And it's apparently the the head of Coors at that time was like a very conservative religious weirdo who thought that Elvira was demonic. And even though the market, she was making them tons of money around Halloween and had turned Halloween into like the second biggest holiday for them sales wise. He was like, well, I can't like you can't have all that cleavage and all that. Like, that's all bad. That's bad. We don't want her. So they yeah, like they made. I guess they made like big um like life size cardboard cutouts of Elvira holding a Coors beer to put in grocery stores or like liquor stores during Halloween time, and they were super popular and everyone kept stealing them. And like yeah, they really boosted sales. But this guy was like, the cardboard cutout needs to wear a turtleneck. <laughs> it's too sexy. Yeah, like he he like he came up with all these ways. They they came up with all these ways to cover up the cleavage. But then he straight up was like, "No, it's like demonic." So they kicked her out, and then they came crawling back a couple of years later when their sales were really bad, and she went back to them. And then they ramped up again with the like, "Oh no, well we're not going to do cutouts anymore, and we're not going to do TV appearances anymore." Like she did all these national commercials, and it was like a huge exposure for the Elvira brand. And they're like, "Well, we're not doing that anymore, so also we're not going to pay you that good anymore." So she was like, "All right, then I'm not doing it." So then she made her own Elvira beer with this little independent microbrewery, and the year called, that she went called Night Brew called Elvira's Night Brew and the year she went to like this beer festival in Milwaukee to promote it she got kicked out by security because they were like oh like you're too you're dressed too sexy to come in here even though there was like a group of like bikini volleyball players Uh (laughs) who were also there yeah it was wild it was wild how much Coors beer tried to like salt and burn her after she left 
And then also Lord Michaels hated her. Like the Elvira character was so popular that the president of NBC like insisted that Elvira be on Saturday Night Live, but Lord Michaels did not want her to be on it and just like at every turn like cut her sketches and tried to make tried to make her do a Halloween thing set to Star Singled Banner and uh, like everyone else on staff was like that's in let's why like you can't do that that doesn't make sense and so they like rebelled against Lauren Michaels and secretly put a different song on only on show day and so that he didn't know they were gonna do it just like people yeah. got a lot of problems with Elvira and they are all on my enemies list yes they all there's also there's a, a pretty sad part in here too about how like throughout like obviously we've been mentioned that she has like a lot of gay male friends and she is very popular in like the gay community and she gets like hit really hard by the AIDS crisis in the 80s yeah. um, and loses a ton of friends and like just like go, including the guy who like essentially co-created Elvira with her like helped her come up with the makeup look and the costume look who was like her best friend and it's just a real a real bummer i mean it's a real bummer for everyone but she that that particular gentleman she was holding a fundraiser at her house to pay for his medical bills and like while she was setting up for the fundraiser she heard that he died yeah so she had to tell everyone as they were coming to the party that he had passed away it's just like but on the the bright side like it did bright side there is no bright side to to the aids epidemic there but the, the bright side of Elvira. The the bright side of Elvira is that she became Im- an impassioned advocate for, like, gay rights and... And, like, raising money for AIDS. Yeah, yeah like, all of this about, like, spotlighting and fundraising for HIV. Like, all this, it became, like, a real passion of hers, mm-hmm. which is great. Yeah, she's so good. Another downer during this time is that Elvira Cassandra had been pretty good friends with Phil Hartman because they had been groundlings together. And then, you know, he was he was murdered by his and she talks about how she didn't like his girlfriend, the one who eventually murdered him. And so he like cut her out of his life and cut like everyone out because nobody liked this girlfriend, wife, murderer woman. And um, they had, like, sort of just reconnected, and Phil Hartman was like, oh, after my dad died, I realized life's too short, and I want to reconnect with everyone, and it's, like, it's really sad. Gosh. Yeah. Yeah. She goes into a lot of, like, behind-the-scenes stuff for making the two Elvira movies, which I haven't seen, but now I want to see them. You know, she had to do, like, she financed them herself, which turned out not to be a very good idea, because both movies were, like, cult classics but that didn't really like make a lot of money and just a lot of like a lot of financial problems during this time well she she financed the second one herself oh yeah you're right the The first one one was was actually nbc wanted to give her a tv series actually and she was like well i'm afraid that if i get a tv series i'll never be able to do movies because a lot of times at that time people would go from movies to tv but very rarely did people go from tv to movies so she was like okay, like, I, I want to start with a movie before we, like, do anything with the TV series. And the movie just was not, like, a critical. And it sounds like NBC had a lot of fingers in it. In Yeah, and that, again, there were, like, some higher-ups who were, like, she's too sexy and evil, like, we hate this. And there were some people who were, like, no, she's cool and funny and, like, super popular. Like, anyway, like, yeah, being sabotaged. Yeah, a similar thing happens a little later where... They pitch a, a Elvira Another show TV again, show. a TV yeah. show to CBS, and like 
essentially CBS like it's doing like everyone loves it everyone's laughing like the one of the guys like in the studio comes up to her and says like I have never had to like I didn't have to add any canned laughter to this like that was all the audience normally I have to like filter in some canned laughter in order to like fill it out but I didn't have to like everyone at the studio is like oh my god this is the funniest thing like this is so exciting I'm so excited for this to be a show and then an exec like sees a screening of it or hears laughter from down the hall because there's a screening of it and like everyone is is enjoying themselves and he's like no like we're not giving like someone who dresses like that a show like it's it's too much too much breasts for cbs yeah but then they steal the concept yeah to become sabrina the teenage witch because the show is about Elvira being a witch and then taking in her niece and teaching her, like, witchcraft. And they had, like, a talking black cat. And it's the kind of thing where, it, oh, you know, kind of, I guess, like, the Vampira and, like, the Morticia Adams were like, well, like, talking about a cat. But it was, like, a year later and it was all, like, similar as hell except for the Elvira thing. Yeah. It's because it's not just her. It's, like, her and then, like, her aunt. So it's, like, the two aunts along with this, like, young new witch who they – who becomes, like, their ward. And it, it just, like, a lot of it was very similar to that Sabrina show from the 90s. Yeah. And then there's a couple chapters in here about buying this, like, old house called oh, – what was it? Briarwood Manor? Briarcliff Manor. Briarcliff Manor. Yeah, and then it, it, this, the book takes a detour to briefly become, like, an HGTV home makeover show and, like, how hard it was that they worked to get this house up to snuff. And then the house was haunted – yeah, it also has like an aside that's like the Jezebel scary story section where it's all of like very detailed accounts of like specific haunted things that happened to them while they lived there. And then here's another wild Elvira story. Her Mark Hamill comes over and is like, oh, my God, I used to live here when I was in college. And one of my housemates, by the way, I guess we forgot to say content warning for suicide one of my housemates died by suicide in this house and that's why your house is haunted as hell and so because mark hamill tells them the story then they are able to like cleanse the house and like remove the haunting and like put the spirit to rest or whatever it's wild here's another here's another like crazy cameo so she gets pregnant and she has a ton of miscarriages i guess we should have warned for miscarriage as well they start trying to get pregnant when she's 34 And she doesn't actually have a baby until she's 43, but she has six miscarriages in the time between. Um, And it's really devastating and like terrible for her mental health. And she's like terrified of getting pregnant because she wants a baby so bad. But also like every time she gets pregnant, she just gets heartbroken. And like they're on this list for adopting, but because they're an older couple, they're like at the bottom of the list. So they're just like really sure at this point they're never gonna have kids and then she gets pregnant and it's great and then while she's super pregnant they're also like the house has been kind of a money pit even though she loves it and they've just about to like they they've caught up on some of their finances they've just about been like okay well we're gonna stay here we're gonna make it work when one day brad pitt knocks on the door (laughs) and is like Mm -hmm. uh my friend told me your house was for sale i want to buy it (laughs) Mm mm-hmm and she's like, that don't impress me much. Just kidding. She's not like that. But she like freaks out. She thinks it's like someone pranking her because she doesn't believe it's really Brad Pitt. And then it is Brad Pitt. 
But then his offer doesn't impress her much because she's like, I don't know. We put so much time into this house. I want to have the baby here. She's like, no. And then he offers more money. And she's like, no. And then he offers so much money. And then they say yes. And that, and that you know, really helps them get out of their financial hole. And I guess Brad Pitt lived in that house for like a long time. Yeah, she lists like all of the girlfriends that she met in the time that he lived there. Yes. When they first bought the house, I had like chickens and ducks and stuff. And she talks about the various like whimsical bad ways that these chickens and ducks and stuff were. And eventually she had to like take them all to she had to like find them homes that would promise not to eat them because Elvira is a passionate animal rights activist also. And again, I love her. She does do a lot of work for PETA, which is sort of a sus organization, but her heart is in the right place. And I will not hold this against her because I love her. She so she has her baby, um, and she's very like cagey about like she talks about like her child, but she doesn't even gender her child in the book. She just talks a lot about like how important being a mother is to her and how much she loves her child, and like I, I assuming for privacy reasons, like does not right. go any further than that. And then she also takes in her niece and nephew after her other her baby sister is imprisoned for substance use and her husband is imprisoned for hitting the older child in the head with a metal pipe. Yeah, the the sister's husband. Yes. Um, so she and her husband take in her niece and nephew as well. And her her nephew actually stays, because they were in Florida, stays with his grandmother so he can finish school. But both of them at like they're 13 and 11 and they both already have substance use problems mm-hmm. from like the kind of shitty living conditions they had previously been in. Um, and she does talk very compassionately about how like their upbringing really fucked up all of them. And like, they've all had like, she talks to like, at one point she had some substance use issues with um, alcohol and cocaine, both and how like her sisters just like could not shake it. And, you know, it, it it's terrible that like, it's, it's gone through her family like this. Cause that's what happens. But like, she's really proud of her niece and nephew because they both like have managed to get into like a really healthy recovery space uh, and now they're in their 30s or so, which is, is just good. It was nice. It's nice because my day job, I always appreciate when people are compassionate about substance use and recovery. Yeah. Yeah. Elvira's just nice. Yeah. Unfortunately, her shitty husband is not nice. And so they, she talks about like the money problems of the house being kind of like a final straw. And, oh, and also this is when they they self-finance the Elvira's Haunted Hills movie and it kind of flops. And so they have all these money troubles. He throws his wedding ring out the window of a car when they're driving. It's just sort of like, I've had it. Like, fuck you. They, they get divorced, but he ends up getting a lot of her assets. And so she's like really broke and struggling and she's considering posing for Playboy to make money. And so she goes to like work out and get in shape for Playboy. And her personal trainer well actually it's her replacement personal trainer it doesn't matter her second personal trainer is this like hot butch woman named Teresa who goes by T and they become like they like really vibe and become like good friends and then shortly after Cassandra's divorce T shows up at her house in the rain this is like very cinematic or romantic and T is like I just like broke up with my partner and I have nowhere to stay and like could I please stay with you and Cassandra's like, this is not really a good time, but also, yes, of course. And then they fall in love. They do. And, and she she talks, too, about, like, 
her her husband's like was really verbally abusive and that she didn't she has this quote that's like people ask me about my marriage and I say it was like the happiest 10 years of my life but we were married for 25 years so he just like it turns out being very verbally abusive and is in in a very similar way to the way that her mother was verbally abusive and her Mm -hmm. therapist ends up like giving her this book that she has to read in secret and then like once she does she's like just like devastated like she cries she sobs reading it because she realizes that like that's the life that she has you know she's replicating the life that she grew up with and she doesn't want her child to grow up that way so she like really does need to get out of this relationship because she can't she doesn't want to pass this like terrible atmosphere on to her kid yes um the yeah the book is called the verbally abusive relationship by patricia evans by the way and it also seems mark is just like really jealous of her success and just like typically like can't handle a woman being like more successful like than him just like shitty the thing that he keeps that was driving me insane that was making me so angry is he keeps saying to her like you're you need to work and you if you don't work like this whole family falls apart like you're the one who's keeping us afloat if you can't find work then we're doomed and it's like well fucking get another job then buddy like do something else besides like being your wife's manager and berating her all the time yeah uh he sucks so she talks a little bit about i'm just gonna read read this she talks about how she didn't want to come out because she felt it would damage the Elvira character because the Elvira character is so like horny for men and that's such a big part of the Elvira character. And so she thought, you know, oh, if people know that I'm dating a woman, they won't like Elvira anymore. They'll think it's fake. And then she talks about, and this is where she never once uses the word bisexual, I think like anywhere in this book really. And it, you know, biphobia hurts people such as Elvira and she says, quote, I was someone who had spent most of her life hanging around g- with gay men. And now here I was ashamed of my feelings for a woman. I felt like such a hypocrite. I eventually gave up my ridiculous preconceived notions about what sexual category I fit into and realized that when you love someone and they love you back, that's all that matters. And she, you know, and she like she doesn't have to like pick a label for herself, but she really struggles with like, oh, I thought I was straight, but am I gay? Like that doesn't seem right. And I don't know. It's it clearly was something that like was messy and hard for her to wrap her head around, but she just talks about being like so in love and so supported by T and that's great. Yeah. And I mean, I will say too, like she never uses the word bisexual, but she does like refer multiple times to like having relationships with men who also who had previously primarily had relationships with men and right. like stuff like that and doesn't ever like make it into a big deal it's just like oh like i knew his previous partners were men but like we had really great chemistry and we hit, hit it off and we started dating and stuff like that so you know she's she's pretty she's pretty positive yeah no she's not like negative about it but like she just didn't seem to have like the language for herself yeah to, yeah to process so there's a, just a few more things where she's um, – this is, again, she tries to self-finance filming some new episodes of Movie Macabre that really don't go too anywhere too much. There's also a reality show called Search for the Next Elvira where she has the idea that, like, someone else could be Elvira. And it ends up being really positive because everyone's like, no, we just want you, like, original Elvira. Like, fuck the other Elviras. Um, and so it, it just kind of ends on this note of 
a bit of optimism for the career looking forward and just like happiness of being like out in her relationship with T uh, and also her mom dies and she like slightly fixes her relationship with her mom before her mom dies. Yeah. Um, and she like, she, she kind of, so she, they move away. She and T move away from Hollywood for a while because Mark moves away from Hollywood and she doesn't want to make their child's life any more complicated than it has to be. So she's like, Oh, well we should move up near him so that like, our kid doesn't have to worry about like school and all sorts of other stuff and it'll be smoother for them. And then once they go off to college, she and T move back to Hollywood and she like, like gets back into it. Like she starts doing the Knott's Berry farm, Halloween, not scary farm thing. Mm -hmm. She like does all this other stuff again and she's got all this new stuff coming out right now. Like she's got her special on Shudder. She's got a thing on Netflix Renata was saying she saw and this book came out and I mean she just really seems to be like doing great. Yeah. And we we love to see it. Yeah. Yeah. So a virus thriving. We love to see it and now we'll move into some dramatic readings. So uh, the first dramatic reading, I'm just going to read a little bit of Elvira discovering the secret. It was time to reevaluate. I had no money, no real career, and no boyfriend. What was I doing wrong? Why was I here again? It suddenly felt like my whole life had been a huge waste of time. I became depressed and had moments when I seriously considered doing myself in. A friend suggested a couple of books to me that became game changers. The Power of Your Subconscious Mind by Dr. Joseph Murphy and The Science of Mind by Ernest Holmes. Coincidentally, I later learned that a dog-eared, highlighted copy of that book sits on Elvis's desk at Graceland. The basic philosophy is this. The law of action and reaction is universal. Whatever you impress upon your subconscious mind is expressed in your life experiences. Therefore, you must carefully watch all ideas and thoughts entertained in your conscious mind. Many years later, The Secret would echo a similar philosophy and become wildly successful. I'm just going to end it there. She does talk more about The Secret, and obviously it worked for her, so great job. Hooray. Okay, so I am going to do this next one, which is about Elvira becoming Elvira. In the beginning, Larry wrote the scripts for the show. His writing style was pure vaudeville schlocky jokes and puns that would make even Henny Youngman cringe. Coming from a Vegas background, I loved it. The show always opened with a line or two welcoming viewers to movie macabre and introducing myself. Hello, darling, and welcome to movie macabre, or as I like to call it, Rent. Yes, it's me, the gal in the wig whose talents are big, the gal who put the sick into classic, the gal who put the boob back into boob tube, the gal with the yucks who's working for schmucks, the gal in the dress who always says yes, except for one time when someone asked me if I had ever said no, the cutie high school dropout who looks like she'll pop out, Elvira, mistress of the dark. You get the picture. All right. And I'm also going to do a brief part about when... Elvira and T got together. Late one rainy night, after Mark had finally moved out, the doorbell rang. There, on the doorstep, stood my trainer, T, holding a trash bag full of her belongings, looking sad and bedraggled. She'd split from her longtime partner, spent some time in rehab, 
and now had no place to go. T, this couldn't be worse timing, I explained. You know I'm going through this divorce and things are a freaking nightmare. But she looked so pitiful that I finally gave in and offered her a place to stay in our maid's quarters, a little bedroom and bathroom off the kitchen, until she could find a place of her own. I soon realized that instead of being a burden, having her around was a huge relief. While I worked in the office, she worked around the house, fixing things that needed fixing, taking care of the garden, and keeping the house in order. T was like a big kid, and she turned out to be the best babysitter anyone could ask for. Evenings were spent with all of us laughing, cooking, singing, and dancing around the kitchen while she helped me prep dinner. The black cloud that had hung over our home for so long felt like it had finally lifted. I began to feel happier than I had in years, and I could tell my child was feeling the same way. Soon, my eight-year-old began splitting time between my place and Mark's apartment, which gave T and me time to breathe, have friends over, or occasionally have a night out. One such evening, after coming home from a movie, I told her goodnight and suddenly felt compelled to kiss her. On the mouth. As shocked as she was, I think I was even more surprised. What the hell was I doing? I'd never been interested in women as anything other than friends. I felt so confused. This just wasn't me. I was stunned that I'd been friends with her for so many years and never noticed our chemistry. How could I have missed it? Was it the male energy she exuded that attracted me? Her intense green eyes? Or just my own loneliness? I soon discovered that we connected sexually in a way I'd never experienced, and after a while, it became clear I was falling in love with this beautiful, androgynous creature who'd appeared on my doorstep like an angel when I needed someone the most. T and I have been together for over 19 years now. Even though she quit training and became my roadie and assistant, we've always managed to keep our personal relationship private, telling only our closest friends and relatives. It hasn't been easy for either of us to live this way, and I'm happy and relieved to finally allow our secret to see the light of day. It is nice. There's another here. I'm going to add this other nice paragraph at the end here. I've never had a long-term relationship in which my partner has treated me with so much love and respect, is always there for me, loves me for who I am, and doesn't try to change me. For the first time in my life, I'm with someone who makes me feel safe, blessed, and truly loved. Aww. This is very nice. She deserves it. Yeah. And everyone deserves it, but especially Elvira. Yes. Okay. Well, let's move on to Reader's Advisory, where we'll suggest some things to read instead of or in addition to yours cruelly, Elvira. I, I mean, I'll say, right, this is definitely an in addition to. I think we both wholeheartedly recommend this book. Yeah, absolutely. If you're at least the littlest bit interested in it, I would recommend at least putting yourself on the library hold list for it. She reads the audiobook, and it's very good. Ooh, I read the, I bet that would be good. I only um, read the print. We've definitely, if you look at our past celebrity memoir episodes, we tend to just recommend whatever celebrity memoirs we've recently read or whatever. I recently listened to the audiobook of Busy Phillips' memoir, which is called This Will Only Hurt a Little. And, uh, you know, kind of similarly, I wasn't necessarily the biggest Busy Phillips fan. It was uh, kind of an impulse library checkout. And I really enjoyed, like, her her voice and she reads it herself and similarly to this one it had real vibes of just like i also have an enemies list of like men who have wronged busy philip so <laughs> you know if you if you like women 
thriving in Hollywood despite men. That's a one. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I also, I can't from experience recommend any Elvira movies shows, but I definitely want to watch them now. And uh, the first one, Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, is streaming on Hulu. I think we talked about that earlier. So I definitely want to watch that. Um, Maybe we can organize some kind of like group watch or something. I don't know. but Yeah, definitely. I haven't read any new celebrity memoirs. It is spooky season, though. So, well, I guess it's not spooky season anymore, is it? I mean, if spooky season has creep into November, why not? I, so I'll, I, I, we're already going so long. I'm going to put a bunch of spooky books on the website uh, for you to check out. And you can go there to look at them if you're interested. And if you're looking at your watch being like, oh my God, this episode is taking forever. Uh, you'll be happy to know that we're just going to move on now to Rock, Paper, Snicked. Yeah. So the Rock, Paper, Snicked is the game where Kate says who Dwayne the Rock Johnson would be if he were in this book. And I'll say who Wolverine would be if he were in this book. And normally our guest chooses which would most enhance the book or paper. It would just leave the book as is. Of course, our guest tonight is only the silent encroaching darkness. So um, we'll just share both scenarios and everyone wins. Yes. Okay. If Dwayne The Rock Johnson was in this book, he would have a cameo role in one of the Elvira movies. And she'd have like a really cute anecdote about him. Of course she would. (sighs) Well, if Wolverine were in this book, he and Elvira would go to the same nail salon to get their claws sharpened. Very nice. That's all. I just like that image. Yeah, that's a good one. Uh, All right. Now it's time for Duarte's Corner, where my cat Duarte will share his opinions about the book. Oh, he's purring. He loved this book so much, just like we did, especially because Elvira is a friend to animals. There's we've read so few books that are so welcoming to cats and creatures of all kinds as this one. It's true. Well, I'm glad you also felt as we did, Duarte, that this was excellent. Yeah. Uh, all right. Do any humans have any closing thoughts? I just that this book was really good. Uh, I so sometimes I'll admit sometimes when I am in a really big time crunch for this podcast, like I was with this book, uh, my day job is insane right now. My personal life is is just incredibly wild. I have very little time. Um, so I really only had about 48 hours to listen to this book. And sometimes when I, I find myself in a time crunch like that, I do start to skim certain sections and I literally could not skim this book because I was too invested in Cassandra's life. Yeah, it's just, it's just a good book. It's, it's funny. She's great. Uh, hashtag justice for Elvira, but it seems like she's getting it, like, at least in my kind of internet bubble, everyone has just been like thrilled for her coming out, uh, thrilled for like whatever's next for Elvira. And, you know, I'm sure that there are haters somewhere, but I haven't seen them and I don't want to think about them. And they are on my enemies list. Yeah, I concur. Like, obviously, as like a gay horror person, this is like, you know, Halloween Christmas for us. Mm hmm. All right. Well, if you want to come, I don't know, recommend Elvira episodes to us, uh, you can find us on social media. We are on um, Facebook and Instagram at Worst Bestsellers. We're on Twitter at Worst Bestseller with no S because we lost the S in the divorce from that shithead Mark. 
Buckmark. Uh, we also have a Goodreads group that you can find uh, by going to our website, worstbestsellers.com, and clicking on Goodreads. You can subscribe to us on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Amazon, Spotify, all the places where podcasts are. And if you do subscribe to us, please take a moment to rate and review. When you rate and review, it moves us up on the charts and makes it easier to find us. Uh, if you don't rate and review us, we're going to put you on Renata's enemies list and you don't want to be there. Mm-mm. You can also subscribe to us on Patreon at patreon.com slash worstbestsellers. Patreon is a service where you pledge us a small monthly recurring donation that goes to us to do things like pay for our editing software and our web hosting and all the administrivia that comes from doing a podcast. And in return, you get perks like a newsletter and stickers and all sorts of other stuff. Uh, you can also, on our website, find a link to purchase some Worst Best Sellers merch, where there's all sorts of designs from our podcast to wear on your body. And finally, we do have a Discord server if you'd like to chat with other best listeners. You can find that linked on worstbestsellers.com and, you know, come on in and join us and talk about how great Elvira is and also what you're watching on television and if you've made any good recipes lately. You know what? We'll be back in two weeks with another celebrity memoir, The Meaning of Mariah Carey by Mariah Carey. I'm looking forward to it. We'll end this episode now. Bye. Yes, bye. This lady has a crazy life, and I love her. Yes.